0: Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 90. Now, for 89 episodes, I have done this with two hands. Today, that's not going to be happening. I am in a bit of a cast and probably will be for the next few episodes that are released because because of this, uh, I have very much few other responsibilities on hand. So I'm going to film quite a lot of podcasts, and try and get ahead of things at Time. Not that I'm going to be that useful at Time. Um, but yep this is episode 90 last week we had ollie harrison ollie blogs contracted talking about his rapid rise into youtube and um, basically had never done anything on youtube until a couple of years ago and now is one of the sort of main names in that scene in the country talked to some really interesting things about analytics he's done some mental things for charity and also a really interesting chat about pripriot uh, the the sort of village, I guess, where the people of um, Chernobyl lived. Uh, and yeah, he did travel there and maybe said some things he shouldn't have said, but that was quite interesting as well. Next week, we will have Louise Penn, uh, an agronomist um, from England as well. Uh, There's three in a row from England. Um, so yeah, that'll be another episode, much like today's, where I'm going to try and pretend I know what I'm talking about, but deep down, I really don't. Um, today's uh, today's guest is Millie Fife. We have had various people on the podcast over the, the years now where they just seem to fit so much in now I write a few sort of headings down for every person I bring on just to keep the conversation going normally it's two or three things I think I've got nine things written down already so this is going to be one of those episodes that isn't going to be difficult to keep going um but Millie would you like to say hello
1: Hello, thank you so much for having me on, Wallace. It's a, um it, it's funny because I followed you from afar um for a little while and I think we have got an awful lot in common, um, a lot of the same interests as well. Um so yeah, no, thank you for having me.
0: Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on instagram they use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories they also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry on top of this they like to support initiatives that are championing the british agricultural industry such as myself so thank you to a plan rural for that well definitely yeah and and, i mean we we actually have a bit of a a group chat now with all the sort of podcasters we're aware of in food and farming in the UK and if you're listening to this and you're one of them and you're not in that whatsapp group I do apologize just give us a message and we'll add you in we've got everyone that I'm aware of and uh, Millie is our newest recruit and um, it's not been going long for ages but it's quite a cool little chat trying to sort of share ideas and whatnot ideas I very much require. Um, Millie I always like to get a bit of background on people like what what was your background what did you want to do when you were younger all that sort of thing?
1: yeah um so I'm not from a farming background originally um although I grew up in the countryside um so grew up in the Cotswolds um and interestingly we used to come to the west coast of Scotland on holiday most years so uh I probably passed a partial front door once or twice but probably as a, a young wee nipper um but I um got involved with the young farmers organization at a very very um young age um I I didn't really um, enjoy secondary school. I think I was probably um, quite a country bumpkin and went to a town school and didn't really get it. Well, I was very, very academic, but I got bullied quite a bit. And it wasn't until I went to the Young Farmers that I kind of found my tribe. And from there, I kind of really threw myself into doing public speaking, stock judging, organising events, um, just really getting to the heart of what Young Farmers is all about. And I kind of built up um, my well, not only my YFC career. So I went through the young farmers through county area and then I became national chairman for England and Wales in 2012, end of 2012, 2013. Um, and uh, meanwhile, I've worked for various farming charities. Um so the Royal Agricultural Benevolent Institution was one of them. Um, and then um, after I got married and well, I met my husband, through young farmers and um, got married and then took on a role as chief executive of the Beef and Dairy Shorthorn Society. So I did that for a little while, well, fell pregnant um, and uh, I've now I've sort of put quite, quite strong roots at home. So we're farming, my husband and I in Northamptonshire. So we're beef, sheep, arable farmers. And then I have a few of my own pigs. Um, After I finished with the Young Farmers, I applied to the Henry Plum Foundation and got a grant to look at adding value to rare breed pig meat because really I wanted to have my own project on the farm. Obviously, I've married into farming um, and Andrew day to day looks after the the beef cattle, the sheep and, and the arable side of things. And so for me, just having a few pigs and actually sort of really getting my hands dirty but then also communicating from field to fork, literally, and then being able to sell meat boxes um, was what, what I started doing. But then after having the children, it got it a little bit much, but I still do a little bit selling pigs for the freezer or sausages as well. But it's always nice to have a freezer full of meat. So for me, um, that that's sort of a bit of, bit of my backstory. And then after having the kids, um, because I've always been – in kind of marketing communication type roles, I've always kept a good network of people around me, memberships, things like that. And so I started to do a few um bits of well, projects for different people that I knew in terms of either managing their social media or helping them with their own PR. And um, so I built up PR and marketing business around the children. And then I suppose um during the pandemic uh obviously we couldn't really do an awful lot um or they like life went on for most rural folk um but um I would get the kids involved on the farm in the garden growing things and I take a lot of photos do a lot of little videos post them on social media and they started to get quite a bit of traction um so for me I launched a um a food blog called no first meals for busy parents um off the back of that because obviously it was just on facebook i was posting originally and obviously any of your friends see that and so i wanted to then do something a little bit more um so that more people could see what we were growing and then we were picking what we were growing, bringing it into the kitchen and then creating a meal from scratch, um, which is something that I've always done. And again, hearts back to my YFC roots, I used to do a lot of cookery, competitions, stuff like that. And and so I just kind of just, just started just sharing recipes and getting the kids baking and stuff. And then people were messaging me and going. Oh my goodness, you've inspired me to get my kids baking. I would have never done that before, or messages like, I had no idea this grew in this country. Um, you know, wow. Um, and and so from there it, it kind of snowballed and it's been quite successful. And I'm just really building upon that now, actually. Um, so not only do I post recipes, but I also uh interview farmers about what they grow, what they produce, um, and then sort of try and tie that in with a nice recipe using the said ingredients and share all of their links and then also do sort of bits about seasonal ingredients as well because you know food scarcity food security is a huge thing now and trying to encourage more people to um, eat in season so yeah so that's just a little overview or a sprinkle I suppose of some of the things I'm involved with
0: well, I mean, I said I'd written a few things down. I think you've just ticked off every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes these podcasts, as I'm sure you'll know, Billy, you're sort of mm. speaking to someone. They've got a great story, but getting out of them is like, come on, go on, go I don't think that's going to be a struggle today. Uh, I think no. we're going to be quite fine with that. Um, we'll try and go in sort of what you mentioned order. Let's see if we can do that. Yeah. First off, where in uh, Southwest Scotland was it your holiday?
1: Uh, so we came to Arran. Um, so oh, yeah. um, we, we uh, I remember we got the, it's Brodick, isn't it? Is it Brodick? Yeah, the, yeah, see. yeah. Um, oh God, and I'm trying to think. Uh, Blackwaterfoot is where we yeah. stayed.
0: Yeah, you can walk by any chance. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it, I mean, it's not a, a big, so I remember going going around. Um, and so, yeah, so came to Aaron, um to Isla and to Mull as well. So, and then, yes, we've done a few of the islands.
0: So you've, uh, if you've done Mull and Isla, that's two I haven't done. So uh, Ah. in fairness, I've only actually been to Arran. I'm from there. I don't even know if that counts. And uh, I've been to one more. That's terrible. Been to Butte as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. But uh, no, Kinloch, Blackwater Foot was basically where I spent my whole childhood. Um, Bikes and football and water balloon fights was pretty much all I did down there. That was was my childhood. That was... um, young farmers is one I always like to talk about and I'll give you a bit of a reason why uh, back in 2015 I started that young farmers it had been defunct since the 1993 uh, Aaron agricultural junior society had stopped and uh, I was like right there's quite a few of us at uni and air let's give it a shot started it up and for 18 months it kind of went okay and it was good we get a few things stock judging that sort of thing it was really good but it just didn't manage and I was always sort of against young farmers like I was at uni and I thought some of the folk that were at uni with us were in young farmers and all that mattered was young farmers and nothing else mattered and I thought it I don't know I was a bit of an issue with it and, and here I have eaten my words hugely in the last year I joined last May joined Lower Nith and Dumfries uh, and I've just got an absolute family here I've learned so many things even though I joined at 25 now 26 like I've still taken so much out of this so could you tell us a bit about Young Farmers you've obviously been in it a while given you were national chair uh, yep. you don't just join as national chair and um, could you tell us what you got out of Young Farmers you know and, and what others can maybe get out of it and then also the roles involved in finding your way up to national chair
1: yeah Oh, I mean gosh what did I get out of it I mean the confidence to speak in public is just you know I mean a, a lot of my friends that are not Um, involved with Young Farmers at all have never had that kind of level of exposure or you know being able to just stand up in a room full of people and articulate something for a lot of people it's you know really scary and I I did I suppose at the time when I first joined so I was 14 when I first joined Young Farmers and I I guess I just started myself into all of it and it was just something that I did Um, and a lot of other um, people my age did too And, and and so for me that's been one of the fundamental things I think that I've got out of it that I think is quite unique is the fact that not only do you get the opportunity, but you're then you know thrust into competitions about public speaking as well with after dinner speaking and brains trust and you know just a minute and oh, all those sorts of things. Um but equally it's the network as well. So I know now, so I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit older than you, Wallace. Um, so I know now that wherever I go in the country, I've got a friend in each county that I can call upon. Um, not just one, lots. Um, and so it doesn't matter if I go to an agricultural show or an event, you know, if I go into the YFC marquee or now like the National Farmers Union Market or whatever it is, I'm gonna know someone, but even if I don't, I've got the confidence just to sort of start that conversation. And and now the people that I was involved with at a national level, a lot of those people are now taking really exciting industry roles as well. So I've got really influential friends in the right places, which is quite exciting um, as well. So all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you know, there's a world of opportunity. Um, but it, I think it's great for your CV as well, because, you know, not only is the kind of um, um, the network and the the skills that you learn but it's also the the work that you do for your own community and the the world around you it's the charity fundraising it's the kind of helping one another um and then with getting involved with the positions as well you could be you know obviously um treasurer or secretary or you know taking minutes or or keeping tabs on on finance or promoting events and things you kind of yes you do you do it all voluntary and you do it because you're sort of part of a team and those are sort of transferable skills and when you're you know going out into the big wide world if you're not Going back to farm, you, you far, well, even if you are farming at home, some of those skills are still, you know, important. Um, but I think if you're then going out into to an interview scenario, um, you're a lot um better off, I find. Um, and you've got all of those sort of accolades under your belt that you should really be proud of. So, you know, for me, I kind of worked my way. Um, it, it was never kind of a goal for me that I'd be national chairman, but when I moved over to Northamptonshire, so I so I grew up in Oxfordshire and then moved over to Northamptonshire and got involved with the young farmers here. And then I became county chairman. So as county chairman, then you're expected to go to some of the area meetings. So mm-hmm. I then go to East Midlands area and then I became East Midlands area chairman. And then because of that, I started then being invited to attend the national meetings. And so I first got involved. They then have like various steering groups. So I go on the so agriculture and rural affairs steering group. Um, and then I ended up being asked to be vice chairman for that. And I was like, yes, brilliant, love it. And then I was so then I became the agriculture chairman at the same time I was voted in as junior vice chairman. Um, so I did two years as a vice and then national chairman in 2012, 2013. So yeah, it's 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 been it's been great. And um you know, it it's it's made such difference to my life, but to to other people's as well. And I think as part of that, sort of I'm a real campaigner for certain key issues, one of which is, you know, the importance of shopping locally, buying British and backing British farming. I mean, for, for me that's kind of fundamentally what I'm all about. Um and uh, you know, why I call upon other people to kind of rally up and or you know get behind industry campaigns. Um and where I, you know, a lot of the time sort of so sort of hang on the coattails of other industry campaigns, creating content. So you know I'm a member of like Ladies in Beef and Ladies in Pigs, and they have their own campaigns. And during you know Great British Beef Week, I'll put out lots of recipes and videos and things. But again, you know it, it's it's kind of having that confidence and that ability to kind of get out there and do that, which I don't think if I was if I wasn't if I didn't have that YFC background, <laughs> I probably wouldn't um so I've got a lot to thank for that federation
0: no definitely I mean it's, it's always quite sad I never get invited to ladies and Beef. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, you mentioned the community thing I thought that was so important like our local club you're doing your concert I think it's concert in England or is it is it um cabaret you do is that is yeah that, you've
1: pantomime, yeah. cabaret um and then the drama as well so it's on yeah. a three-year rotation Yeah
0: the thing that I really liked was was that the, the one of the local halls just gave us their hall and all they asked was if we could put our Christmas decorations up for them and I thought it was so nice like it just felt all the all the sort of old ones were there that night putting the Christmas decorations up having a bit of crack saying that I was useless at putting up it was just so nice like um absolutely loved it so I mean over the last few episodes people that have mentioned young farmers I've sort of been a strong advocate for getting involved and and that you know that's coming from two maybe not normal ones like yourself, yeah. um, not from farming. There's so many people not from farming, and then like myself joining is very much one of the elder statesmen <laughs> at 26, just about as old as you can, uh, and still the the benefits you get out of it. You know, I'd probably got past all the interview techniques and whatnot, but I'm still gaining so much. So yeah, if, if anyone's ever ever looking to get involved and um, do so it's, it's very much very much good and, and moving on to a very other a very other another very important organization is rabi now up in scotland we have rsabi which is just the same thing but for scotland um let's see if i can remember what it stands for it's benevolent institute is it royal agricultural benevolent yeah institute? yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just like you sort of look at well, I'll tell you what, we'll pass it on to you more, actually. Maybe you'll sell it a lot No, you will sell it better than me. Could you tell us a bit about, about RABI and, and their role in the sector? And I assume that's really increased since COVID. I assume there's been a massive requirement for them. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification
1: um well i mean i'm um i i finished with so i was with RABI for eight years and i i looked after the fundraising marketing and communications for the charity across the east midlands region um so although i still keep in touch with some of my colleagues um I wouldn't necessarily know um, if they've had a huge increase I would imagine so like you say Um, but I mean it's it's fundamentally what it's partly what motivates me because although I was on the fundraising side of things I obviously got quite a lot of exposure with the welfare team who were the people that were going out assessing people's needs going onto farm kind of looking at the the kind of hardships but also the um, the accidents the injuries the disabilities and kind of knowing what difficulties people were in sort of gave me even more motivation to work really hard to raise the money to obviously fund the work um and I think that for me that that is why or part of the reason why I am so passionate about flying the flag for for UK agriculture because you know we have so many things thrown at us um that we cannot control and if you look at it, you sort of thought of it as, you know, we're the first day on earth and, you know, you sort of trying to put a business model together and you were sort of looking at agriculture and about, um, you know, the, the rely or the working with, you know, the volatility of um, the market and uh, climate change and governments and bureaucracy and the weather and animal disease and all of these things. Everyone would probably think barking mad, but you know, it, it's, it's what we do. And, and, We're producing food and I think everyone lives quite a busy life now and has perhaps lost that kind of connection between what is produced in this country. And that's partly why I'm motivated to do it. But also, I recognise how hard behind the scenes people are working and the troubles that they then face. And so, you know, with charities like SABIR, you know, FCN and, and Addington and um, all the sort of farming help charities, they do absolutely amazing work. And I think they are the unhung, unsung heroes, really, in terms of kind of, keeping those ticking along and it's a lot of the time through no fault of their own you know they've had an accident or an injury or they've had a long-term disability and it might just be that they get an, some equipment adaptions around the home after they've had a a, a a terrible injury could be paying for a relief worker to sort of help keep milking the cows and doing stuff while somebody's in hospital um or it could be sort of looking at the other end sort of when people are retired and. Um, don't have enough money to kind of get by really and it's sort of making sure that they get the state benefits that they're entitled to so for me it's sort of having that exposure from that side of things it's kind of what goes on behind closed doors that a lot of people don't realize and again that's why I kind of you know if you cut me in you know in two you sort of think oh you know that's why it oozes out of me is because I've been around people um who have had those hardships. And often they're then the ones that want to do the fundraising because they want to give back. And equally, I mean, I've had some help from Farm Community Network after after having my kids, um I, I still live in chronic pain. And it's really, you know, I've had real challenges with mental health. And you know, just being able to have somebody to talk to um has it, it, it that understands the kind of pressures that you know, not only general life, but life living on a farm with two young children um, and, you know, trying to keep the wolf from your door is, you know, quite a lot of pressure. And, you know, in trying to manage pain um, and, and everything. So, you know, now I do try and do my bit to raise money for Farm Community Network. So um, I think I think we've all sort of got a connection one way or another.
0: Oh, definitely. And I mean, like, how many times have, have we... I feel like our industry is quite bad at falling victim to the fact that oh it's fine or mm-hmm. you've got to manage or whatever and it's sort of like pushing through to each generation like oh the more hours you do the better the more, whatever and it's, it's this major issue like and I think it is changing I think we're curbing that trend and um it's you know loan working whether that's an attractor that's out with a sheepdog on thousands of acres or whether that's quite a large business falling on the shoulders of one or two you know mm. a small family it's just there's a lot of there's so many pressures and, and mm. things like RAB, RAS, RSABI, that sort of thing are like the sort of like Samaritans of the rural sector mm. FCN like you were talking about mm. there um so no a very good institute to be involved in I'd say. Uh. Uh, I was what one thing that I found uh, about Millie that I didn't know and I don't know if this is now or this is past or whatever mm. uh, at some point you seem to be heavily involved in the Oxford Farming Conference Ah, oh, yeah. For, for those of you listening, do you see what I'm talking about? It's just endless. I mean, if there's <laughs> any, I, just, I don't even need the rest of the podcast. We can get rid of the other 89 people we've had on and just a million. It's just <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, the Oxford Farming Conference is something I've never actually been to in person. The first COVID one, I went online uh, and this one I went to some of the seminars online. But it, it just looks like a brilliant thing to get involved in and alongside the Oxford Veal Farming Conference um, where there were probably enemies for a while. I think they sort of looked- <laughs> and uh, it looks it looks like a good thing can you tell us for the viewers first off that don't actually to know what ofc is um what's involved there
1: yeah so it's uh it's an it's an annual conference based at oxford university so within the examination halls and then um some of the the colleges as well provide the accommodation Um i i haven't been for the last couple of years because of ha- having young children, but, in I'm just trying to think, I went for a number of years just as a delegate as um one of the kind of uh, uh, as a young farmer, and now I can't remember what they exactly call um whether it's emerging leaders, um, as it's now sort of more titled uh, t- titled, but I went as a scholar um a few times, so I sponsored to go and it's a three-day conference. Um, And they get world class leaders, um, not only from within farming, but other people to sort of challenge us from outside of the sector as well. It's normally it's the first few days in January. So it normally sort of kicks off the year, the tone for the year. You know, you get the politicians setting out their agenda um, and then obviously sort of looking at innovation across the globe. um, And there's various sort of breakout um, sessions um, where various sponsors and and, and businesses get involved in, in that sense and I also took part in the Oxford Union debate which is part of the conference so they come away from the examination halls which is where generally the the presentations are and we go to the Oxford Union which is basically this sort of very historic debating hall and kind of um, there's a, a set topic and the year that I spoke um was the theme was or the topic was this house believes that uk agriculture could thrive outside the European Union. So obviously before Brexit and all of that was even kind of spoken about. And um there was um a donned in um uh Union Jack dress with a basket full of produce just giving out uh, and, and delivering my, my speech with uh, Stuart Agnew who was um an MEP um at the time so we won, which was an incredible accolade. And I, you know, I'm still sometimes dying off of that, uh, that, that sort of story. Um, but then after attending a few times as a scholar, I applied to become a director. Um, so I then sat uh, uh, as a director, basically helping to organize the conference. So, you know, just trying to um get either gain sponsorship um to help fund some of the places and all the activities, and then obviously promote the attendance as well and it has got a really good following um it is a very prestigious conference and and like you said there is a kind of a, a bit of rivalry with the Oxford Real Farming Conference and I think they're sort of trying to kind of work out a way of doing a lot more in conjunction with one another but it's quite a challenge with the facilities um within Oxford um and I think if you were to come away from the the university uh, it kind of takes a lot of the um the kind of heart or the, what, what was really set up there, but, you know, um, people, people move on, people have new ideas and, you know, I, I, I think it's all there for, for the taking, but it is, it, you know, for me, it was, it's been a wonderful opportunity and actually some of the people that I was on the, um, board with, um, i'm now working with in different roles and industry you know it, it, it's funny how things move in circles and uh, some of the people that were yeah the, that i met through there i still work with in different with different hats i wear so yeah it's great
0: it's such a connected sector in that sense yeah. that, you know and yourself going to a new thing like, oh yeah you know and um, i think the thing that always shocked me about the oxford farming conference the most and it was more maybe shocked from the oxford uni side was the fact they hold this which is arguably the biggest conference in the sector in the year that's happening every year and then they sort of transition to a vegan diet in their canteen and I was like oh my god that's mad like how, how are they able to do this this seems so conflicting um but yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a I've seen some great speakers at it even if it is just sitting watching a laptop um I think I've said every year for the last two years I'll have to go next year and I've just never done it but I think you're always skint after christmas and new year
1: <laughs> well you ought to apply yeah I know exactly I think you ought to apply as one of the emerging leaders because then it's all paid for because I think you know it isn't a cheap conference but then it's not cheap to put on you know you've got a couple of nights accommodation um and I mean you do get fed really well um so it is it is a few hundred pounds but they are opening up more to you know to more scholars and uh, um and obviously it's a for those that are listening to operate their own business, it is a cost that you can put for your business. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, it's it's definitely it's worth it for so many things. Just the networking alone, and um, the different people that are there. I mean, you know, I I could just sort of hang out outside of the conference and just I would don't you know sometimes I get more out of just the networking, let alone what what people are saying. And I did a little bit of work um during my time as a director in the press center as well which put me in really good stead because then I made lots of contacts within the kind of farming media world so and I again I still work, work with those people today
0: are you part of the guild
1: yeah 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 so uh, um yeah I get a lot from that too
0: I feel like I should join that so many people have told me to and I just keep forgetting to do so um I don't know if I count though um yeah, <laughs> you can of course you can I don't write anything <laughs>
1: I can propose you because I think you need a proposal. I can't remember. I've been a I've been a member of the British Guild of Ag Journalists for fifteen years, probably. And um, so, and I mean, the person that proposed me is dead now. So, um, <laughs> so there you go. But um, um, yeah, I guess. That's what, but no, you'd be very welcome. It's, it's again, it's another brilliant network, and it's one that I kept up that membership while I was on maternity because that sort of kept my hand in. Um, and I, yeah, so that for me was really good
0: no excellent excellent and there's one other thing again leading into this um <coughs> let's look up things you can do in farming and <laughs> you've just tipped them all uh <laughs> is you're involved in the shorthorn society which you did mention um yeah. one thing i kind of wanted to mention not really related to the question i had but uh did you ever come across a guy called donald bigger yeah he
1: died yeah. didn't he, he
0: yeah did, he was- yeah and yeah, um i mean just the, re- the only reason i asked was uh at our at our university, our our um, winter show we have a winter show every year, yeah. and uh, it's it's really good fun. Students get involved in the, the livestock and machinery side. It's a sort of like proficiency side in machinery, and then a show inside. And uh, we we contacted uh, Donald's family, and the son son Jamie came along, and and that is now the trophy for the livestock champion, the Donald Bigger Memorial Cup. So yeah. Uh, did um, you worked alongside him or
1: yeah so donald was my president actually um when i first joined so i was only with the society for about a year because i fell pregnant really quickly and um just i was never at home so i was up at sterling at the ball sales and the next minute i'd be across at, like the royal world show and then i'd be you know i'd be here there and everywhere and it just it kind of, it, yeah. It was very exciting. I met so many lovely, interesting people, and the breed is just, you know, I admire hugely, and the work that they're doing in terms of development, and you know, both on the dairy and the beef side. Um, but for me, I was a bit like, no, I just, you know, it, 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 it was a, dis- it was a hard decision. But then I wanted to kind of start putting roots at home, and because I was never at home, um, I just. I wanted to press the pause button, I guess. Um, and, and, and then for me, it was, it was kind of bright Want to support my husband on the farm, got the children, right. You know, that, that, that's that, but, um, yeah, I, I still keep in touch and keep, keep an eye on what, what's going on. And in fact, I'm, I'm heading up to the Highland this summer and I've been inv- invited to speak at, um, a women in agriculture, Scotland breakfast. So I kind of thought I'm going there on the day on the Thursday where there's obviously the, a lot of the beef cattle showing so i'm definitely gonna have a look down the lines and see who's there and uh pop and say hello um because yeah it's it's great
0: i mean as a non-beef cattle shore you will definitely find me in the cattle lines at night (laughs) (laughs) yes Um, yeah other sort of responsibilities through the day at the Highland but the cattle lines are certainly the normal place yeah I've well been there been.
1: are bars in the marquees as well in the day so uh... oh,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not really a drinker but the Highland show yeah. just somehow changes you uh... yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you go to the racing and you never see a horse or you know you go to the rugby and you never actually watch the game just in the bar but yeah it's just just how it is isn't
0: it <laughs> that's it <laughs> it's good to see you again. So I was I was at the Highland Show this year for six days. It's only on mm. for four. Uh but yeah, I was there the day before and there the day after. But um, no, it is a good time. It's a good time. And for, for those listening, um, uh we've we've got sort of two podcasts uh, on the go. I no, I won't give any more away. That's maybe going to change uh, in the next couple of months. It's maybe going to increase, but I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> uh, but every second Monday, we release that podcast with a group in food and farming. Now, at first, I'd said that was going to be a young farmers group, a uh, breed society, a charity, or whatever. We've done a few charities so far. And what I want to do is is, is have a chat with the National Committee of SAYFC, uh, mm. which is the Scottish uh, Young Farmers Association. Uh, have a chat with the National and then go through every club in Scotland, and also plan on doing that in England as well. But the breed society part is going to be a big part of that. Um, Could you tell us what breed societies are, Millie? What are they there for? What what was your involvement at Shorthorn Society?
1: Yeah, so the breed, the breed society is obviously uh, looking after all the different breeds of, well, obviously there's cattle, sheep, pigs, you know, the, I, mean, I mean, obviously from my perspective, it's very much focused on the beef cattle and the dairy cattle side of things. Um, but it's it's there, so you can, it's a registration society, so it's protecting, preserving and developing a certain breed of cattle um uh, or you know dairy cattle or or beef cattle and so I was obviously facilitating the registrations of said cattle and everyone kept saying oh yeah all you're doing is putting a name in a book sort of thing which technically is what you're doing is you know you're you're kind of registering an animal but it's you know there's a lot of history and prestige behind that and and also you're kind of looking from where the animal's came from and making them also fit for purpose in the current climate and so you know a lot you're seeing at the moment a lot of the native breeds having a resurgence, especially because of regenerative agriculture because of um the way that some of the the government funding is that actually getting rewarded for you know having um hardier cattle grazing less favorable areas for example um so you know i was obviously very much involved with with that and also you know working in conjunction with um some of the supermarkets so the short on society are very um involved with morrison's and they're quite the kind of marketing of the short breed um through their various shops is becoming a lot um a lot more prevalent so it's kind of from, from that perspective but then obviously the showing side of the cattle is a big thing. And I mean, for a lot of people, like the pedigree breed is life, you know, um, and especially in the in the summer shows and things. And you know, the amount of effort and energy in terms of you know, preparing your cattle, hold training them, getting them um in in show condition, as it were, to then you know, work your way up from maybe your small local village county show uh, up to you know, the like winning the Highland show, you know, in your beef breed category let alone in 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 Connellan, like the overall um you know um championships and what have you it's just you know i mean you, you don't do it for the money i mean blimey um the time and energy and effort but it's the accolade and then because you can then obviously build up a, a your own reputation on breeding really good quality cows then when you sell them at the likes of the bull sales at sterling they obviously make more of a premium um because people get to know that and you know for their you know easy carving or whatever it is um it's just sort of you know you're just recording various information on that breed that then people can either look back and reflect on the history or kind of look at right in the future i would like to do this within my business so i want to get a meteor carcass so therefore i need to bring in a bull that has got these traits um so so yeah so the breed societies have got quite a wide remit now and then they do a lot with kind of young handlers and getting the next generation inspired and involved as well so again there's various sort of handling and um kind of um i can't remember what they call it in in scotland but it's it's it's, um cattle dressing that's it um (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. so so that's quite quite good as well so um you know it's a bit like pony club but in the cattle world you know so yeah it's um yeah they have a fantastic um uh strong history um and yeah going to some of these agricultural shows you can go walk up and down the lines in the marquees and you've got the various breeds and yeah everyone's very passionate about what they do which is great
0: yeah i mean as someone who's won the aaron show once before winning the highland must be quite something <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah
1: yeah absolutely, absolutely. And
0: even that, even you're yeah, one of the aaron show is a mad thing it was really cool um, i've been
1: to the aaron show it's in august isn't it um yeah
0: so. first wednesday yeah uh, but what, what, When were you there? So when?
1: So when we were on on our family holiday, I remember it. Yeah. I only I only only remember it because it was very very wet and um we were very young and there was people sliding around everywhere trying to hang on to their cattle, um and then um we went into this marquee and there was this really old chap and he was showing his poultry and he got these little chicks out of the cage for me and my two brothers to hold right and i just remember my youngest brother he would have only been three or four but he was there holding this chick so tightly it was almost like he was gonna it was squeezing it to death and it booed everywhere and so <laughs> so it always sticks in my mind that that we went there as kids um
0: did, it, did the guy have a big beard by any chance? Oh, yep. God.
1: I mean, we were talking, yeah. gosh, we we're talking 30 years ago. Yeah, so, no, yeah,
0: someone, yeah. Does aid. someone does spectrum, aid, but- yeah, yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to clip that and ask my mum and dad. It's uh, <laughs> 30 years ago, I probably wasn't there, but uh, yeah. You said it was raining, that must have been the only time ever. It's never rained at our Oh, time. really?
1: Oh, no, it was dreadful. And yeah, <laughs> no, people were just skiing has. around, uh, holding onto their, trying to hold on to their animals, Like, and they were just like skiing along almost. It was just, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I'm, I'm definitely lying, saying it's never rained at Ardsley. <laughs> <laughs> you get quite a shock if it's a nice day. Like it's August twice, it not nice. Um, but uh, yeah, no, good good stuff. Um, in in COVID, you you somehow managed to think, you know what? I've got to get a few more things now. A lot of the things we'd <laughs> sort of dropped, uh, and you come up with a couple of things. One being a blog, one being a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean when when COVID hit that's sort of when all this stuff started for me you know social media and whatnot and it was a time you know I was a chef before this or a cook I don't know what the difference is I don't think I was Mm. trained so I was probably a cook and I tried to sort of show different things you can make with local food because globalisation turned off for a week or so and and uh, it was it got some really good engagement and folk loved it. So you obviously jumped on that train as well. Um, mm. Tell us about your, your sort of no fuss meal for parents, because I think that's a no fuss meals for parents. I think that's a great idea. It was a really difficult time. The kids were always there. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. How did that idea come about? Was it because you were going through the same thing? I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, um I mean I I'm I'm a home cook and I enjoy cooking um and as I say, I enjoy posting pictures on social media about what, what we're up to on the farm. And um, with obviously having the pigs, I was posting pictures about them. I was posting pictures of just growing veg in the garden. And that's something that my dad used to do with me, actually, um, is, you know, grow, grow a lot of veg from a young age. And so I, you know, naturally wanted to do that with my kids. But I, I often find, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of TV cookery, and I enjoy it. But not a lot of it I think I have the time to replicate or have the ingredients in my cupboard and so but I enjoy cooking from scratch and a lot of my friends now especially because my kids are at school um and so I'm mixing a lot more with non-farming people Mm. is that they don't you know there's been so much more of a reliance on processed food and um you know microwave meals and things like that and actually um it's um it really inspired me to kind of think right well let's share some recipes let's let's try and um get more people cooking from scratch because you know you couldn't um get deliveries for love nor money you know and, and you couldn't get to the supermarket or a lockdown or if you could it was you know it, it was a real it was a real challenge so it was kind of like right well let, let's try and cook from scratch because you couldn't go to the pub you couldn't go to a restaurant you couldn't really have a delivery so it was kind of all of those things was kind of a bit of the perfect storm really um and I think now that we've kind of been let back out into the big wide world again it's kind of we've got quite short memories and so I kind of want to keep on banging that drum and keep on sharing those recipes and talking about seasonality and shining a light on other food producers as well, because, you know, they're all very, very busy, but they might not necessarily be very good at their marketing or they're not on social media. Um, and so if I can help do that, um, I will. And then from that from the sort of combination of the food blog and the podcast just before Christmas, I launched, um, an e cookery book, um, which sort of brought all the recipes together to um in it into a, 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 a into a digital product again because I'm all about digital um but it was an easier route to market for me as well to get it out there so it's it's available on um Amazon Kindle and through my own website and I got princess royal hrh princess royal princess anne to forward the book um and so I would like to get it printed now but it's a little bit um of a challenge within my budget at the moment. I again I either need to get some sponsorship or I need to find an easier route to market because even if I get it self-published, I'm gonna need to charge quite a lot of money. And I don't think people people pay more than perhaps 10 pounds for a 10 or 15 quid for a cookbook. And at the moment, gosh, the printers are quoting me like 12 or 15 pounds. So that's just production costs. That's not me actually making anything and I have always said like with the ebook, that I give a donation to Farm Community Network so I've got to charge quite a bit to get return on investment to be able to you know make you know donate some money to charity as well so I've got it's it's sort of put me in a little bit of a conundrum at the moment because the first publisher I also spoke to wanted about 17 grand up front um and that's a bit like (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) so uh, um so you know uh if anyone's listening um that can help put me or work with me to get um a cookbook actually produced that is within you know access and re- you know that isn't going to cost an arm and a lead which, which can help sort of make my kind of project kind of fruit of fruition as it were um and be able to raise a few quid for charity as well that'd be amazing
0: could someone like red tractor get involved with that
1: Probably could. In fact, I have. So, the, as part of the kind of preamble and stuff, I mean, I've got love British food. I've written um a little bit as well, but I've got kind of got a bit about food provenance, about traceability, about yeah. sustainability as well. Um, so yeah, it's just it's trying to get people to put their money where their mouth is, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, it's definitely saying, But I am talking to other industry organisations as well to sort of, again, align with them and sort of jump on their kind of tailcoats as well just to yeah. see where we get. So
0: yeah. Quite exciting getting a forward from Princess Anne. It's great.
1: Pretty... Yeah. Yeah. Well again, um, so I've worked so I've with ROBI and before ROBI I worked for another charity that Princess Anne was a patron and she's the patron of the Short Society. And now through my PR business, um well actually I don't do the PR for them um but I'm secretary to the English panel of the Council for Awards of the Royal Agricultural Societies, which is a massive mouthful, um, but she is a member of, um, and so over the years I've had the fortune to be in her presence a lot. And she was a, she's a she's also the patron of the Oxford Farming Conference, so again I have yep. met her through there as well. Um, and so I've met I've got quite a good rapport with her private secretary um, and. I got her. So I got the Princess Royal came and gave um, some awards at the House of Lords two years ago at an event I organised. And from and and they just said to me, her team said, "Oh, if there's anything you ever need, or you know, we can support you in any way. Just just ask, you know." And I just sort of thought, "Well, I'm doing this project. Is this something that she would get behind?" And they said, "Well, tell us what you're doing, and we'll get back to you." And I literally waited. I don't know four or five months, didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden I got this email going, Oh, here's this. And it was a letter headed, um, and I got it in a post as well, um, on Buckingham Palace, a headed paper with a signature basically endorsing my food blog, my podcast, and the cookery book. Wow. So I'm a bit like I've got royal endorsement so yeah um, yeah so um yeah so yeah I'm I'm a firm believer if you don't ask you don't get and it's kind of now I need to pull more of my network to help me to get where I need to be um or where I want to be so I I need to stop being so shy and um not that I'm shy but I suppose because I've I've got all these different things going on all the time it's quite difficult sometimes to think oh gosh where am I going here because I just kind of get on with it but I think now I kind of thought about it and thought well actually I can't keep just creating all these projects (laughs) I've got to kind of bring it all together into something um so that's kind of like the next step for me really is to kind of um really make um a go of of that and trying to um bring a bit of income from it as well because obviously I do it for the love of it which is great but at the end of the day I doesn't pay the bills um and everyone's got to put you know keep the wolf from the door so um yeah so I try and try and do as much as I can um but yeah if anyone's listening that would like to get behind me and sponsor me uh or sponsor sponsor that arm of my um yeah my creative outlet that would be lovely
0: well it's, I, you know, I just feel silly bringing onto my food and farming podcast a royal endorsed food and farming podcast <laughs> I feel like I'm doing this wrong am I giving folk too much advertising <laughs> that's so cool oh that's so cool I love that you're dining um, out on that for a little while I'm sure <laughs> yeah definitely uh, I've had some quite a funny story about Princess Anne and the Aaron show so I'll give you this you'll quite like it um 2011 was our 175th show and uh Princess Anne was there for the 150th, so she came for the 175th, which was really cool, and uh, my dad's job was to sort of show around the Texel Suffolk and other breeds ring, and uh, that was fine, and uh, about 20 minutes before this was happening, my my dad's own clean top uh, knocked him out against the fence just before he was walking <laughs> Princess Anne around, and uh, oh god, just he was sort of interested to everyone, but he was absolutely killed Like it was the yeah. lady, <laughs> Dad. If you're listening, I apologise for laughing at you, but um, <laughs> everyone else was as well. I'm sure. But uh, oh,
1: she's very, very down to earth and very, very um knowledgeable. And whenever yeah. I speak to her, so she keeps Gloucester Old spot pigs too. So that's our mutual kind of conversation <laughs> that we or connection that we have. So yeah, for for me, it's like oh yeah, um, and she's always going oh I'm having trouble getting a hold of some and so I have put her in touch with it well sent the details to her her team so I know I never know whether or not they've actually followed up on it or anything so I'd like to think I'm now a pig dealer for her royal highness as well you know <laughs> imagine
0: the royal pig cartel
1: that's it <laughs> not quite well there is a princess Anne line as well on in Gloucester Spot breeding so um yeah so that's
0: that's quite funny it could be the PR for it you could get yeah yeah that um there was one question i kind of meant to ask you about an hour ago
1: (laughs) oh okay sorry
0: (laughs) could you could you tell us about the farm
1: yeah yeah so (laughs) (laughs) so uh, as alluded to so um, my husband's family are originally from aberdeenshire and they moved down um in the 70s and settled here in northamptonshire and uh it's a mixed livestock and arable farm so we have around 100 beef suckler cows, um, which we supply um, beef to our local. Well, it's a, well, it's an abattoir. It's only five miles away, and they have three butcher shops. Um, mm-hmm. So very low food miles from, from that respect. And similarly with our our breeding ewes as well. All of our lambs go through um, Joseph Morris Butchers, um, and a small amount go through. Stonely Market um at, at Kenilworth as well, which is about 25 minute drive. So it's not too far. Um, so so yeah, so we're beef sheep and then some arable crop as well. So we grow our own grass for hay and silage, and then we have mainly um wheat, barley, and some beans as well. And that all goes really mainly for our own feed production for the cattle. Um and um a, a small amount of the wheat gets sold as well. Um, whoever pays the most for it um <laughs> so cool. yeah so we were quite you know we're we're, we're quite fortunate well, I don't know some people say it's fortunate some people don't say it isn't depending on what side of the coin you are but our farms actually was in a village so we're not sort of out on our own um which is quite nice because I also have a few hens or so I sell eggs at the gate and things like mm. that and actually people are quite interested in what we're doing and I write in a parish newsletter in the local newspaper and things about what we're up to and again i share a few recipes and things um but the kind of flip side to that is you know then we have a lot of footpaths we've got the canal that runs through the farm as well um so we've had issues with like dog worrying we have had rural crime you know there's there's two sides to every coin um but i think overall it's quite nice to not be out on a limb um and and actually have that kind of engagement and like in a few weeks after easter the village so my my eldest is at primary school so the kids his class are going to come when we're lambing so uh, so yeah so, so it's nice things we do like that um sort of bit of local engagement as well to get people sort of more interested or kind of aware of what we're doing um so yeah so I always joke I'm the farm's diversification um because I obviously like done a bit of a side hustle with my PR business but i've always had a career as I, as i've explained um i've always had a career before i kind of married into farming anyway um and although you know i do support my husband during busy times lambing and and during harvest and what have you it's slightly harder now with the children but you know um i i very much i thrive on it absolutely love it and um you know the kids just get thrown into it too so i've got you know as we say an heir and a spare so um <laughs> <laughs> whether or not they want to go into farming is another thing but um yeah it's quite nice to to bring them up on on the farm
0: cheap labor at the moment. <laughs> yeah well
1: i wouldn't say let's say they're particularly helpful with five and four years old but they're getting there it won't be long it won't be long no, it
0: won't be Yeah, some, some are getting involved at that age some <laughs> But uh, absolutely, some are. Tell us, tell us about the podcast itself, uh, Millie. What sort of, what sort of guests are you having on?
1: Yeah, so- and, and
0: say its name so folk can go listen.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's called the Countryside Kitchen Meats, so a food and farming podcast. Um, so I release an episode once a month and I basically interview farmers, food producers and lovers of food um, about what they produce. Um, a bit about their backstory as well um, sort of get, you know, their route into agriculture, um, you know, whether they're born into it or whether or not they shape their own career or, or you know, create their own business off, off the back of something else um so and I have had a few I've been quite fortunate actually I've had a few kind of minor celebrities as well so um I had um BBC's Chris Bavin who you might know from eat eat well for less um so he was um quite an interesting guy and a couple of years ago uh, when well, it was about 18 months ago I went to an award ceremony in London and I sat next to a girl called Charlotte Henshaw who won gold in the um Tokyo Olympics and the Paralympic Growing, and um, so i had her on the podcast but sort of really you know bringing it down to you know um beef farmers sheep farmers arable farmers um, people that are have got diversifications on the farm so and uh, you know women men young old you know complete cross-section of farming really um and just kind of you know because i you probably find this as well like when you when you you write something on social media you could then there's so much more you can tell you could could talk about and so that for me is why I started the podcast because there was a lot more of a story there and actually to get it from the first person rather than from me regurgitating it it's because quite you know I know what questions to ask and um, you know to to make it an interesting listen Um, and um, just trying to get it concise so gosh it's like you know uh, it's so tricky, isn't it? Like because people have got so much. So it's so interesting, and um, it, yeah. So I'm just trying to kind of um, work out where it goes. I've been doing it. Mm, I think I've done twenty episodes now. I did have a little break last summer again because it was hectic with kids on summer holidays and one thing and another. Um, but I'm sort of really. I've got. I've actually got um, James McSween from McSween's Haggis. He's coming on um, my oh, yeah. podcast. Yeah so again because of my you know Scottish connection and also because I was doing a burger competition where I wanted to make a haggis burger so I kind of leaned on them I was like right come on you're gonna get lots of exposure Um, you know uh, so he sent me a case of case of um, McSween's haggis but I'm actually gluten intolerant and I only found out about well, six seven months ago and so I said to him oh you do gluten- free and you send me a box of that now <laughs> so on. I was yeah. really cheeky and then he sent it to me and I was like I think you need to come on my podcast now so um so he's he's he's, he's gonna be a future guest anyway um <laughs> but it's yeah it's just it's just a bit of fun really and and but I think it's really gaining traction um and I'm getting quite a good listenership or you know people following yeah. me um and it's led on to other things which is always good.
0: See, I always thought haggis, because it's oatmeal, was gluten free. I thought oat wasn't gluten. I thought it was Yeah,
1: uh, yeah no, oats. Oat, so it's any grain. No yeah, yeah. So it's wheat, barley, oats, and I rye.
0: Different product and oats here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, no. Every day. Yeah. Um. So if you are listening to the podcast, I'm sure uh, if you enjoy, um. The R2 cast, you'll certainly enjoy Millie's podcast mm. as well. It sounds very similar, probably conducted by someone that knows how to ask questions a bit better than me, but I try my best. I
1: know, I've too.
0: But no, you're Millie, it's, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I was genuinely trying to work out how we fit this into a sort of rough hour. Um, obviously very well trained at going over things very succinctly and eloquently so it's been a it's been a really interesting really interesting episode so thank you very much for coming on I don't know if you've ever listened to an episode before but there's two questions that we asked every single person at the end of each podcast and and they are um one where do you see yourself in five years and secondly if you had any tips for folk coming into farming and maybe even a wee bit of PR here uh, what would they be
1: yeah yeah uh so in five years time i'm going to be a household name um obviously I <laughs> we are, no, well i mean i've just been on so it's funny i've just been on the windsor leadership program which are sponsored by the farmers club to be to go on and i need to be more bold you know um and i kind of i am or i need to perceive myself as one of farming's anchor women hang on here we go come here come here come here come, here. come and say hello come someone's
0: come say hello yes
1: Absolutely. this is Come say hello. Come here, come here. All right. Oh. So this is Dougie. Say hello. Dougie,
0: yeah. how are you? Hello.
1: And then hello. hang on, I've got the other one just coming. Oh. Right, jump Hi. on this side. Yeah, this is Angus. There we are. Oh,
0: <laughs> well, can I just tell you, you as a Scotsman, you have fantastic names. <laughs> Excellent names.
1: Now, you need to go to bed because we, we just finished recording this podcast, haven't we? <laughs> so, yeah. Don't so come on, Daddy's, Daddy's, take uh, up. don't uh, take that right you go on up. i'll be up in a minute oh dear you bang yourself never mind there
0: we go, right, go. oh dear okay okay right off you go then darling right. right are they are they twins no no oh my god they're similar
1: yeah so there's only 15 there's 15 months apart between the two of them
0: wow. so yeah
1: so uh but the youngest is as big as the eldest because yeah he's just he's like rugby player so yeah (laughs) so so i do i do tend to dress them quite similarly as well because they're in the same clothes same size clothes so yeah so it's mad so going back to your (laughs) question so uh where do i see myself in five years time as as one of um farming's anchor women and kind of being able to communicate um the importance of um buying British shopping locally, um food, you know, hoping that you know, people value um food security. You know, because I'm so concerned about food security and, you know, empty yeah. shelves and wondering whenever it's getting people to eat more seasonally um and you know, scratch cook. Um so for, for me. And then um the second question, remind me what the second question was. i am just, if, just no,
0: you're fine. you're fine. If you had tips for folk coming to farming uh or or, you know or PR and marketing whichever you feel best what would it be
1: well I think you know from a non-farming background the way I've carved my career I think you just have to be bold and 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 ask for help and I've never been afraid to kind of obviously apply for grants and get sponsorship and things like that sort of help me on my way I've I think it's getting I think folk are a lot more welcoming of non-farming people into agriculture because I think mm-hmm. there was a bit you know not only my female but I'm not from farming background and what have you and I kind of you know I haven't had it easy um and you know I'm sort of sort of talking to you all jolly and everything but you know I have had some some really serious knockbacks and, and, and what have you but sure. you pick you dust yourself off and you, you you get on again um but I think there's there's such a variety of roles within agriculture as a whole. You're not actually driving a combine or a tractor. You know, in the marketing roles, the science, the research, the development. You know, the, when you really scratch the surface, there's actually quite a lot that you can do. Um, and I think that's being more and more recognised that actually, you know, you don't have to be born into farming to be a farmer. Um, and actually, we need more people from outside of the industry to be welcomed and celebrated. Diversity um, is is a huge thing that needs to, you know, needs to be more recognized and and welcomed within farming as well, because, um, you know, I I mean I I remember going to young farmers AGMs and things. There's five thousand of us young farmers. There's probably only two black people, you know. And yeah. um and uh, I mean I only know probably three or four black people now that are farming, you know. And you know from different ethnic backgrounds, sexuality, whatever it is. I think we need to be more kind of open and welcome to 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 that because I think. And, and partly that is because the way that people perceive agriculture is the fact that, you know, you have to own own land and what have you, and you know how expensive and inaccessible land is. So, you know, well, unless, you know, you've inherited it, it's very difficult to, but there are obviously a whole wide amount of different roles that people can kind of work their way um, through through the industry. So for me, it's kind of, you know, just knocking on the doors and seeing what's out there and just not being afraid to kind of, say, look, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. Can you help me? Um, so, I mean, and that's pretty much what I've done.
0: Yeah, and and I think you make a good point that farming isn't just sitting on a combine or sitting on a tractor. Those are very important jobs in farming. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, there's so many different ways you can carve a career. Um, mm. Like yourself, you're proving that. Mm. I'm in education and media. Did I think I'd be there three years ago? Absolutely not. Mm. Uh you know, there's so many different ways. Just look at the guests you've had in your podcast, the guests I've mm. had in my podcast. It's interesting what you said about sort of um, diversity in farming. Um, Flavian Obiero I've had in the podcast. Yeah, I've
1: had Flavian as well,
0: yeah. Great guy, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, he spoke a bit about casual racism and, and and what he thinks is in farming. And then another guy who's the sort of typical straight white male, um, but uh, James Herrick works for the Farmers Weekly, and he, he spoke about... Uh, sort of um, uh, uh, like ho- homosexual discrimination in farming. Mm. Uh, he spoke about the sort of problems there and the problems with LGBTQIA, uh, uh, not society, what's the word? Uh, that's terrible. Mm. Oh, you know what I mean anyway uh, and it's interesting like and it's a worry I think if we're causing problems there and youngsters are seeing that and they're part mm. of these communities communities is the word um and they're seeing it and thinking oh well if this is the way they're treated in that industry I'm not going into that and mm-hmm. and we've got to change that it's not about sort of just not being discriminatory it's being anti mm-hmm. it, you know and mm. uh, yeah, so and calling uh, out uh, as well
1: yeah
0: absolutely I think we have to well I don't mm-hmm. think we have to um yeah. But no, it's been great. I hope, I hope you've enjoyed coming on the podcast. Yeah, sure. it's
1: been great. Thank you.
0: Good. No, not at all. Thank you for your time. Appreciate, obviously, the wee ones that you've uh,
1: Yeah, no, well, they're mad. I, they could hear me in the other room. I think Andrew's <laughs> just running a bath for them now. So I'll go and pitch in and help. But if you're ever down this way, honestly, just call in. You're always very welcome. Um, I always say to people that I chat to, oh, there'll
0: always be a baking sandwich and a cup of tea um, or a sausage uh, yeah. sandwich. So, so. <laughs> I'm not going to complain at that, not yeah. at all. Uh, no, so thank you very much, Molly, I appreciate your time. Uh, for those of you listening, um, I'm sure you've enjoyed another episode of Our 2 cast. Next week, um, we have Louise Penn, who's an agronomist, uh, Louise Penn Agronomy, I think her name is, quite simple, on Instagram if you want to check that out. And yeah, over the next week, um, because of said injury, I am going to albeit in quite a notable chunk of pain, try and sit um, and get some podcasts done and try and get ahead for a lamb And So uh, I think I've got nine scheduled up for the next week to film. So uh, a lot of good episodes coming. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. For well, Louise, thank you very much, Billy.
1: Take care. Thank you so much.
0: I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow Aplan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.